0: Welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer Hummer, what's up buddy?
1: It is official It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan And more importantly right now football fan baby the university of cincinnati 49 14 all-time series it is tied miami can go to hell who would have thought it would have taken this it was so quick to overcome a 15 game deficit in an all-time series and we did it in a record amount of time 15 freaking years suck it miami you can take that Ivy, Midwest Ivy bull crap and
0: shove it right up Jaeger Stadium. Welcome back, sir. <laughs> Welcome back, Cincinnati Bearcats <laughs> football. Hammer, I mean, you nailed it. 15 years in the making, 15 consecutive victories, and the series is officially tied. Months ago, we had Joe Barnett on the podcast, and one of the first things he said, I think, about the schedule was when to cut bait on this matchup, because let's face it, we are overdue to end this relationship with Miami of Ohio. It's supposed to be a rivalry. It is incredibly one-sided and we do not get out of these games. What we need to start getting out of these games going into the future. Now, obviously a lot of things are going to change in the, in the coming years, uh, depending based on the reports we're hearing about the big 12 expansion or realignment that said, it feels good to even up the series. It feels good that uh, we came out with an emphatic 49-14 victory over the Red Hawks in game one of the season. And that's probably where we should start, Hummer. We should probably... I, I want to back up just a minute.
1: Because I know we were talking about cutting bait on the on this Red Hawks series. Look, let's not cut bait. All right? Let's keep it here. Right? L- hear me out. Because eventually... They're just our new Murray State, right? They're our new Alabama A&M. You know, they're that new – they could just be that team every year that eventually we're paying a million dollars to play
0: them at home just to whoop their butt, (laughs) right? No, and that's – I did. I caught myself as I'm saying it thinking, you know, the game is changing. The Big 12 is calling. We're going to – we're going to need a couple uh, non-conference games that, that make sense as sort of a warm-up for the season. And maybe Miami of Ohio will be that game, but we'll never be traveling uh, up to Oxford again. That's just, that that certainly needs to be off the table.
1: Nah, and frankly, you know what? I went up there enough in college. It's fun. It's okay. You know?
0: Hmm. It's not home. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the game itself a little bit. Obviously, it was a very one-sided matchup. The Bearcats had a 35-0 lead at halftime, finished the game 49-14. Lots of highlights, lots of uh, moments to relive. We don't need to go into too much detail necessarily, but I did want to spend some time talking about maybe some favorite moments, talking about some things that stood out to us, both good and bad. Not much bad to, to lean on, but there are a few things. Um, this is a
1: third quarter.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'll go ahead and send it to you, Hummer. What? What? Where do you want to start with this Miami-Ohio game?
1: All right. We're going to start off the second play of the game. An absolute dime. We said this before. We were talking about the the keys. We we talked about the outrageousness of, of Des Ritter being in the conversation for Heisman. And we talked about what does Des Ritter, you specifically kind of laid the roadmap out to what, what does Des Ritter need to do in order to get himself in the Heisman con- contention? And he did it in the second play of the game. Just an absolute dime piece The Tyler Scott for an 81-yard touchdown. And it looked way better than anything we've seen. It might be one that if I'm going to rank the passes of Des Ritter for his career, that's number one on my list. That is, It was just perfect receiver had separation. He threw it in stride. No one had the weight on it. It was just bam, bam, gone, beautiful throw, but he continued doing a lot of that good stuff throughout the game until the third quarter. That's a whole nother issue in the third quarter, but that was one of the, you couldn't have asked for a better first half of this game. The first Shut half.
0: Up. Yeah. It was, it was an immaculate performance in the first half by the Bearcats. And on that play you're alluding to Des's 81 yard touchdown pass. I was writing down some thoughts on the game and that moment specifically really stood out to me on a number of different levels, you know, from, from Des Ritter's standpoint, this is the, you know, quote unquote weaknesses in his game. This is the area where he has question marks in terms of his ability to regularly complete passes. It is just one throw downfield, but it was perfection. And it was the most emphatic way to start a senior campaign with the expectations uh, that this Cincinnati Bearcats team has. So I thought it was a tremendous moment from that standpoint, but also just for the fans in the stadium, this we've had, we've had 18 months now, basically of just, you know, we've had a rotten time. The stadium's been, you know, only, only a a smattering of fans throughout the stands. Uh, 2020 was one of the most historic seasons in Bearcat history, yet there's really nobody in the, in the Nippert stadium to enjoy it. We're finally back. The grid is full before the game. I had a chance to visit the Republic of Cincinnati, the Den, uh, went to Fan Fest. And, and honestly, the the energy outside of the stadium before the game was impeccable. And that just carried over to the game. And I thought it was it was a nice moment for the fan base as sort of a a welcome home to Nippert Stadium as Des to Tyler Scott absolutely brought the roof down.
1: What do you think uh the first quarter,
0: Desmond Ritter's? rating was whatever perfect is <laughs> whatever perfection is that would be the number i imagine
1: Here, here's the crazy part it was three 321. what do you think it was in the third quarter it might be the opposite
0: i mean there's no there's no mine is inter-
1: minus 100.
0: <laughs> oh uh,
1: but for I, I will give him some credit there. We honestly we didn't we didn't run good offense. He only had two attempts, and he had an intercept, that intercept a lone interception in the third quarter. And it's but, so
0: hard, like when you have a thirty-five. Well, let's take,
1: let's take out that third quarter long of eighty-one, long of forty-seven. In in the first and second quarter, the fourth quarter we were still struggling. Even in the fourth quarter, I, I would throw that out there. You uh, know, he went six to seven. He had a long of nineteen. Look, I think I think we're seeing. It's one game, one game. You can't write the whole season off one game, but what do you think? Are you, have we seen what we need to see out of Des Ritter? And is there, what are you looking for for him to maybe improve?
0: I'm not going to nitpick Des's performance. I thought it was immaculate. He was 20 of 25, 295 yards, four touchdowns passing, one touchdown rush, rushing, um, 31 so you're saying it's hard, it's hard to nitpick. It's hard to There's, nitpick. I'm not going to nitpick it. And frankly, you mentioned it. This is the roadmap for Dez to be in Heisman trophy contention. To it needs to be his, hard to nitpick his performance. But he also needs to put up video game statistics. Like Which it needs to hard. be, we're going to be scoring 42, 49 points every single game. He's going to be responsible for you know, 65, 75% of the offense and i think when that happens and if that continues to happen in addition to win 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 des ritter is going to definitely be one of the top heisman trophy candidates in the country and based on performances we saw across the country it's it's easy to see now that he's going to to force himself into that conversation um you know prestige programs be damned Well he did he did force himself
1: into the conversation. ESPN put out their list of the of the five quarterbacks who made I guess I don't know if it's called the who made strides, but it's kind of like it seemed like the list they were putting out of five quarterbacks who made strides this week. And Des was, I think, number two or three on that list of making a name. And flat out saying that the odds in Vegas for Ritter should be improving in terms of winning the Heisman. He's 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 made that stamp. And as we keep going further into the season, look, he has an opportunity coming up here in the next you know, Murray State, we assume similar numbers. Let's be honest. We assume better numbers. Tony Pike, uh, I think Gunnar Kiel, I so is the other person on this list. Uh, your records are in jeopardy six passing touchdowns in a game. Murray State, they're coming. It's coming for you. Be prepared. Is it, though?
0: Is it coming against Murray State? Because I expect Des Ritter to play two quarters. And I expect him that
1: he had four, four passing touchdowns in the first quarter. <laughs> I expect him to have. I, I, it's in, it's in jeopardy. I do think it's in jeopardy, uh, be ready, but more importantly, we're going to come against two opponents too, that he gets to have an opportunity to put up some numbers against. And if he does, it's going to be serious, serious discussions about it early on in the season, which
0: is what we need in order for that to come to come to fruition. Well, this goes hand in hand with the point you made last season. You are a huge advocate for the, the style points. You're a huge advocate for the narrative, especially when it comes to, uh, being a legitimate being in legitimate consideration for the college football playoff. So I, I have to think you're salivating over the fact that Des Ritter could be a legitimate Heisman trophy candidate in terms of what that would do for our ability to actually make the college football playoff.
1: Absolutely. When you're talking about the narrative, like even if you go through Desmond stats this week, you could take that one interception, anybody watching college football, anybody who's voting for the Heisman to take that interception, they're going to throw it off the board. Because that hit the receiver in the chest, in the hands, and he he popped it up into the air in for the pick six. Not not Des's fault in any way. No, that that was
0: Evan Prater who who threw that interception. Des threw a legitimate interception at the start of the second half. Oh, that's right. Yep. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I do think it actually goes. It bodes well for us to have that type of narrative on our side, moving in our direction. Um, there are other things we need to probably touch on in this game. Things that stood out to me. In the first half alone, Des was completing passes to to every receiver on the team except, you know, wide receiver one and wide receiver two and Alec Pierce and Michael <laughs> Young Jr., uh, two of the top three picks when it came to our beer mile bet. Those two guys went catchless in the first half, but everyone else seemed to get in on the action. Obviously, Tyler Scott with that eighty-one yard catch to start the game. Jaden Thompson finished with four catches. Wiley obviously got in the action. Um, Jerome Ford, I mean,
1: I think the list of people
0: who didn't get in the action is shorter. You're right. I should have started with the guys who didn't get a catch because everyone else was, was getting in on the action in this game. And I actually think that's going to be a trend this season for the Bearcats. I think you're going to see the ball spread out game in game out. I think it's going to be un It's going to be uncommon to see a guy with six or seven catches in a game, not saying it won't happen. I'm just saying it's more likely to see seven or eight guys on the team get three to four receptions.
1: One thing I am secretly excited about, which is probably not on too many people's radars because it only happened twice. uh, Jerome Ford was involved in the passing game and he averaged 9.5 yards a catch had a long of 13. And it just kind of goes right in there with his rushing stats. It fits in right there
0: that he could be used, you know, pretty versatilely there. I want to. I need to give you a little bit of grief, Hummer, because what you're (laughs) alluding to is predicting that Jerome Ford would catch more touchdowns than anybody else on the team, my friend. That that guarantee or that that prediction is is struggling. Not gonna happen. It's already sucking wind. I don't think it has a good shot at delivering. He's only look. We're spreading the ball so far around. He's only behind one touchdown. (laughs) True, (laughs) true. But if you if you watch Josh Wiley on the field, um, it is quite evident that he is going to uh, flirt with with double-digit touchdowns this season.
1: Uh, I do think on the ground, Jerome Ford is actually going to be be flirting with that.
0: I, absolutely. I think Jerome Ford is one of the- He's going to be the
1: touchdown leaders, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, Des Ritter was the star of the show, but Jerome Ford, what jumped out to me, he's obviously explosive. We know about the speed. His ability to punish defenders and and deliver yards after contact is, is elite. He was unstoppable on the ground. He was running through contact. And once he gets through that first level, it's, he's a threat to score a touchdown on, on almost every touch. So huge, huge resource for the Bearcats, for lack of a better word, in the backfield uh, in Jerome Ford. I, one thing that did stand out, the turnover battle was did not go in the Bearcats' favor. And when you consider how good our defense is, they forced zero turnovers. And how reliable our offense typically is, we turn the ball over three times, two interceptions, one fumble on a punt return by Ryan Montgomery. That is a recipe. That's actually the exact opposite of what the recipe will be for success against the best teams that we play this season. So when we play in Indiana, when we play in Notre Dame, I imagine the recipe for winning those games on the road is actually going to be winning the turnover battle because of where our strengths lie. That's an interesting place where we actually came up short uh, against Miami, and I imagine it's something the coaching staff will certainly be um, emphasizing this week in practice.
1: Yeah, a lot of I think what you're alluding to there is that third quarter. That third quarter was, for lack of better term, dog shit. It was garbage. Uh, there seemed to be like a lack of focus, a waning attention, like the, Oh, we're up so big, it doesn't matter anymore. And it just, it was a, it looked like it was mental mistakes being made. And those are the things that you're not going to be able to do once we start getting into, you know, the rest of this non-conference schedule. Once we get into conference play, once you, once you have the lead, you gotta keep putting your gas on their throat. You gotta keep just shoving it down there and keep scoring. You can't go a third quarter. We go 21, 14, 0, and 14. Uh, you, you just can't have that. You have to keep playing your best ball all game. You're not going to be able to let it up because what we are going for this year is different than normally. This is perfection. That's what we're going for is perfection. And you can't have those big mental mistakes. The the fumble on the kick on the punt return, <laughs> unacceptable. You can't have you can't have those types of mistakes. You get the interception, you know, like I said, from, well, I didn't say this. I said it was incorrectly last time, but from Evan Prater, it hit him Prater, Prater. You can't have that. That one's, that one's acceptable. That one is acceptable because it hit the hands of the receiver. The receiver dropped the ball on that and put it in the air. That's not on the QB, but the other ones, you can't have those in the third quarter. all the mistakes we made the offense was abysmal. We had two attempts at throwing the ball in the third quarter. You just can't have that. That's the stuff that's going to lose you games in the long run against tougher opponents.
0: Right. Let me, let me play devil's advocate here and kind of, and, and, or be the angel on the shoulder and reemphasize why I'm not panicking about anything I saw in that third quarter. This is the first game of the season. The Bearcats entered the third quarter leading 35, nothing and human nature does kick in at a certain point. It's not panic. It's not panic. You sound panicked. I'm not panicked. I'm not panicked.
1: <laughs> it's not panicked. It's it's calling it calling a spade a spade. They were losing focus because they were up big.
0: And you're right. You're right. Like the, the the lesson learned from this game will be, there needs to be a higher level of consistency through all four quarters of the game. I don't think that they went into the third quarter thinking. Actually, we know exactly what they were thinking. Des Ritter mentioned it after the game, that the game plan was, I'm going to go out there for one drive. We're going to run it down the field. Score a touchdown. I'm going to get come out. Evan Prater is going to take out, take over for the rest of the game, and all will be well in Bearcat Land. Unfortunately, they went three and out. They did not score on either. I think of Des Des's first two drives of the third quarter. I might have that count wrong, but um, that's- they didn't sl- score on
1: any drive of Des Ritter in the third quarter.
0: Oh, there you go. All in all, though. Very strong performance. I do not believe that Ahmad Gardner was targeted once in this game. He I, wasn't. And he I, wasn't, I, not once. That's going to be the trend. I do see that they they really were going after and attempting to attack Kobe Bryant. They got the best of him early on in the game. However, you do that enough times, Kobe Bryant's going to intercept you. He's going to pick the ball off. He's going to get his hand hand on some balls. He's extremely good at playing the ball. His ball skills are, are immaculate, and I expect that he'll clean that up long term. Ahmad Gardner is just such a luxury to have defensively, though, because you're not going to see teams try and attack where he is on the field based on how absolutely elite he is. This is a round one NFL draft prospect.
1: So we're talking about the defense. We talked about our last uh, episode with the offensive line and. I want to get to a stat, stat here. I know Miami doesn't seem like they were this uh, stalwart or someone that we should have been worried about in any way, shape or form, uh, but they, they weren't a very experienced team. I think they had 13 or 14 returning players from the Mac championship in 2019. They, I didn't know that, you know, that they claimed a Mac championship in 2020, having played three games.
0: <laughs> hey,
1: but they were t- the point is it was a very experienced team. And we knew there were some questions coming into the day with this um offensive line. And we were sacked twice, but we had zero, they 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 didn't hurry our QB in any way, shape, or form that entire game. Des Ritter had all day in the backfield. The offensive line looked looked, in my opinion, pretty good from a from an actual playing standpoint, not necessarily from a penalties standpoint.
0: Yeah, the penalties, there were some sloppy penalties, both from just a, a motion standpoint, but also, um, yeah, I mean, there were, there were some infractions that you would try and clean up. They were giving reps to both Tunstall and Williams. We saw the fact that Renfro went out, out of the game in the first half, uh, limping to the locker room. It sounds like that was mostly precautionary, and it does it does make me feel good that they have a game against Murray State coming up where they can be extremely cautious Making sure that he's fully healthy, I think that's a big, a big piece for the Bearcats on the offensive line, and we talked about that with Joe. So yeah, no, no major concerns about that performance. I don't, I don't think I came away thinking they absolutely dominated the game. I mean, there were Des was rushed at times. There were a couple sacks. It, it, it's not a pristine performance, but there's something to work with there. I'm looking
1: at the stats here. QB hurries. Uh, I'm seeing zero. I'm seeing zero on the official, on the official box score there. All right. I'm going to take that as a, as a victory, uh, tackles for losses five. Okay. That's, that's a little, that's a little not good, but that happens in two sacks. Okay. I can
0: live with getting sacked twice. Um, well, it just, it's interesting. Like I actually expected, you expect against Miami of Ohio that the offensive line is that's going to be a game where they actually have a chance of dominating, I'd say they, they did a good job, right? Des Ritter completed 20 of 25 passes. Uh, we ran the ball down their throat. So, yeah, overall, that was a strong performance from our offensive line in game one. It's a tough measuring stick. I don't really know what to do with that information. Uh, we felt comfortable enough that we're going to have an offensive line rotation in that game, right? Like that, The coaching staff felt good enough going into that game that we don't necessarily have to pick a, a quote-unquote starter. We don't have to pick a main guy for our left tackle position we can go back and forth uh, to kind of see what we got. I actually expected our defensive line to have a more substantial impact on the game. I do believe, you know, I'm no football, you know, X's and O's expert by any means Miami did seem to build their game plan around eliminating my Jay Sanders from the game, um, protecting their quarterback, not having him do, you know, drop back after drop back after drop back Again, the second half was a lot stronger, actually, defensively, I thought. I thought the defensive line really started to um, have their way with Miami in that second half, especially. But all in all, we're going to be, a, we're, we're a fantastic team. Like, I think I text you early in that game and said, this is just a great team. It's We are a legitimately great college football team. Anytime we're, we're remotely criticizing this, this is all picking on the nits. Like, these are picking the nits because of the expectation of going undefeated and and kind of seeing how we stack up against the best.
1: I'm not picking the nits here. I think the offensive line looked fine today. I thought the defense looked fantastic. Uh, Like I said, seven of those points, granted, I know our, uh, our, our in-house bookie was rather excited to see Miami score to take the over uh, (laughs) to save a massive amounts of parlays and get in some units this weekend. Sam is sick. Um, He's a sick man. He's a sick man. But I do got to say that also put me up, uh, to, uh, one and a half units on, well, at least you for sure. Cause I didn't realize you didn't even actually technically engage in a bet this week.
0: I guess never, it did not engage in a bet. I need to make in some season long ones. Now that I know Sam's <laughs> going to be tracking this and, and holding us accountable season long, I'll make sure I'm more definitive in, in making my claim for that for next week.
1: But, um, so you would have you would have made some money had you parlayed the over and obviously the spread here. No, like I got no complaints. I think it was great. I thought they they thought they played well. The only thing I was legitimately upset was was the the actual score from Miami because I did predict a scoreless
0: game from Miami, and uh, they didn't just score; they scored twice those anytime you're down 35, nothing at halftime, the second half is always going to get weird. You're always going to usually give up seven to 10 points in this case, 14 Hummer. I think that's about enough on the game. Look, it was a 49, 14 blowout. We're going into a matchup against Murray state that we're just not going to preview because it's going to be another tune up matchup for the Bearcats. Oh,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. We are going to preview it. We're going to preview it with Sam Elliott. So we know how to bet
0: it. Oh, <laughs> true. We are going <laughs> to preview it in the context of how would you be Uh, how will you be managing your money for these matchups?
1: How will you be making money to be able to donate some of your winnings to the UCATs to be buying yourself some season tickets to help us get those numbers up that way after we do get into the big 12 and inevitably in five years, that conference gets picked apart. The university of Cincinnati lands in the ACC. We're thinking that far ahead over here on the Cincy Slang and podcast. Uh, so, yeah, go and spend some of those winnings. Donate, donate, donate.
0: Absolutely. That's a that's a good <laughs> plug for you, cat Summer. One thing, we need to transition this conversation to the other big news of the week. Obviously, anytime you, you start your season, you've got to lead the it? game. Did it's, I allude to it? <laughs> the, the Miami game is actually not the biggest news for the Cincinnati Bearcats football team or athletic department as a whole. This past week, it became much more likely that the since university of Cincinnati Bearcats will be joining the big 12 most likely in the 2023 season. Um, if all goes according to initial reports, you're seeing the fact that apparently the the, the, the reports are that university of Cincinnati, central Florida, BYU and Houston, all four of those programs will be extended they'll all be submitting their applications to be admitted to the big 12 conference as early as tomorrow i believe uh and tomorrow being monday of this week and then later in the week they are expected to already have the votes necessary to be extended a formal invitation to join the conference at which point all of them are expected to accept hummer this is a big deal this is a big deal,
1: and while I am excited about this deal, I'm ecstatic, elated, it feels a lot like us getting invited to the Big East after Ooh. the departure of Ooh. Miami and who was the other school? Was it
0: was it Virginia Tech? Can you be excited if that's the comparison you're making? No, no,
1: you got to help me out here. Who else was invited to the to the ACC from the Big t- Biggie said that, that we basically replaced um, into we Miami. Were, Miami was it just Miami and Virginia Tech? Was it Virginia? That's what I'm saying. Was Virginia? I, Tech I'm not
0: was, the. I'm not incredibly well versed. I'm, I'm not the historian. I, on I did this not one. follow the the business side of things as closely back then. And and frankly, it was traumatic. And I I've mostly blocked it out of my memory at this point.
1: Well, regardless, it feels like that in a sense that this is in my mind. It is great for us, no matter what. It's a win-win but it does feel for the Big 12 maybe it's a stopgap because they're stopping at 12 teams and they're not just doing the full Monty and getting ahead of the head of the beast and saying hey let's pick out the best of the of the teams that are left and let's make a strong conference and let's build for the future. But that being said, the money no matter what is going to be more than what we're getting in our current situation in the current conference. So our goal is to build with what we what we're about to get and build this monster even bigger, faster, stronger, to the point that when it does come time when the it goes to four super conferences, Cincinnati is a very very attractive option for the ACC, long shot Big Ten. I know I'm looking like five. I'm looking, I know it's like six years in advance, but that in my mind, that is the truth. I think that's what, that's what this is about. You got to get the money when you can get it. You got to get it. And at the end of the day, this is better situation than being where we're at today
0: in the American athletic conference. You ended up landing on the right landing spot. You end. you got there, you got to where you needed to get, which is that this is something very much worth celebrating, very much worth being excited about. When I, when I look over the results, from the from college football week one. I guess Ooh. it's it's technically Gross. week two. I see that Central Florida pulled off a comeback victory over Boise State. But then I see that South Florida lost to North Carolina State 45-0. East Carolina lost to Appalachian State 33 19. Tulsa lost to UC Davis 1917. And Tulane, Tulane actually did us proud, did the American Athletic proud. They, they went to Oklahoma and lost by five and actually had a chance to win that game on their final drive. Um, Temple was beaten like a drum, 61-14 by Rutgers. Navy lost 49-7 to to Marshall. And Houston, well, you know, Houston's coming with us, but Houston lost to Texas Tech 38-21. The point I'm getting at, Hummer, is that this conference is an absolute shit show. The American Athletic is not viable long-term. The longer we are in this conference, the worse we will continue to get, the worse position we will continue to be in when we have an opportunity to scale up from a monetary standpoint, but also just a a competition standpoint. What we're going to be seeing in the Big 12 is it's it's a night and day comparison when you look at the American Athletic. And I, I know that the top, of the american athletic is solid right obviously cincinnati's carrying I'm, gonna, the- I'm not gonna say it's solid there's
1: two teams that are routinely solid cincinnati and central florida that's those are very that's that's that's, that's it that's Memphis very comes high, and level. Goes. That's Houston high level goes comes
0: and goes smu comes and goes there, we're moving into a conference though that completely loses that bottom tier which is was which is you know, it's it's untenable. There's I, one I, team in the bottom tier there, and that's Kansas. But they make for up for it in basketball. Right. The amount of respect you get for playing, and look, I, these, these aren't programs that I think super highly of, but the amount of respect you get nationally for week in, week out, playing Kansas State, West Virginia, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and Baylor, that is going to be way more respected than what we're currently doing in the American athletic. And it comes with a lot more money and that money can then be reinvested into our programs to make us more powerful and, and even more dominant into the future. I mean, we are going to enter this conference depending on when it happens and depending on who's left as one of the top two or three football programs in the conference. That's where I see us entering. You're right. When you look at the teams, that, that are in the
1: remaining Big 12, these are teams that when you put them on your non-conference schedule, some of them you get excited about. Some of them, you know there's a chance they're going to be good. Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Iowa State. It doesn't matter. It's better. The, the bottom barrel of that is much smaller, but they all have brand identities behind them. That is just—it's a bet. It's going to be a solid conference overall. But I said uh, this—I don't remember when this was. This was probably a year and a half ago, year two years ago when we first started this podcast, talking about the blue bloods of college basketball. When you're going through and you're talking about the UCLA, you're talking about Kentucky, you're talking about Kansas. There's another name that should be discussed when it comes to blue bloods of basketball, and that's the University of Cincinnati. We're about to be in a conference where we're going to be playing twice a year, Kansas, in freaking basketball. (laughs) Guys, like, this is, in my mind, this is almost a better conference for basketball than when we were in the Big East. That's how important this is for the basketball program that we're about to be here, especially because we hired what we think is going to be a winner. He's right now, I don't know if anybody saw this, but he is preseason projected to be, conference coach of the year west miller
0: as he should be
1: as he should be as that, he should is be. as that as this comes to fruition though that's massive being in this type of basketball conference already because it's where the best of the best already play that's going to be great for retaining coaches going to be re- great because we're getting paid more money to pay these coaches and on top of that retaining luke fickle We all know that's the one, the next, that's actually the biggest key. I love basketball. That's my number one love and passion as a UC fan. But football is, as we've learned, what drives the conversation. There's a reason why Kansas is not getting picked up by the Big Ten right now. It's because they suck at football and they don't have, they don't have the fan base, the rabid fan base that rallies around their football team. So that's
0: that's why they're stuck where they're at. It's a great point. It's one of the biggest takeaways from, from this realignment um, situation with the big 12 and, and who they're extending invites to basketball simply just doesn't matter in these realignment conversations. And, and, and maybe there's a scale, and maybe there's gray there and, and there could be situations where it's at least factored in and considered. And I, I know the big 12 does care about their basketball conference. They I'm sure appreciate the fact that Cincinnati, Houston, um, those two schools in particular enter with a lot of history in that sport. BYU is already, they're a very solid program. And then central Florida, you're taking them on because of their Olympic sports and and, and their football program, but also their financial position. I mean, this is a school that is well-positioned to make serious investments into their facilities going forward into the future. Um, But at the end of the day, what is moving the needle on these conversations and what is allowing Cincinnati to be, and a shoe in for the big 12. Once they extend an offer to four teams, what allows us to be in that position first and foremost is what Luke fickle has done with this football program in making us a top 10 team in the country. So with that, I want to get what it's not just what he did though. But I want to, I want to give credit to the actual question because I want to get into the discussion and maybe nitpicking that a little bit. Austin on Twitter uh, at Austin Luder, hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, L-U-E-D-E-R, follow him on Twitter if you want to check him out. He said, OK, since he's slangin', question for you on the next podcast. Cincinnati to the Big 12 is becoming more and more realistic by the day. Note, we are making a big assumption that this actually all happens. There are no last minute changes. God forbid, if that happens, I'm going to feel absolutely horrific about this podcast. But nonetheless, I'm not going to feel horrific because we're
1: talking in still hypotheticals. It's okay. OK. It's our out. We're giving ourselves the out. I don't think we need it, but it's there.
0: He continues. So my question is, if we never hired Luke Fickle as head coach, do we still receive this hypothetical? I'm putting that in hypothetical invite to the Big 12.
1: We're talking ifs and buts now. We don't know who would have coached Bit would have been if it wasn't Luke Fickle. Could we have hired someone great? Here's what we do know. Here's what we do know if it wasn't Luke Fickle that we hired. We know that Cincinnati is a place that coaches can come build success. And unfortunately we have the moniker of being a, a stepping stone school where you have a, a Mark Dan Antonio comes in, builds us up, dips out to Michigan State goes wins a national championship there you get brian kelly comes in right immediately martin antonio
0: won a national championship i thought he did whoa no (laughs) no 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 we need to fact check this in real time i am that the
1: 2014 it was the rose bowl so my bad
0: okay he won he won the rose bowl but not the national championship
1: Rose Bowl, you get excited about it, sure. But he won a Rose Bowl before before the I guess that was the first year of the playoff.
0: Just continue with your thought. Mark Dantonio did not win a national championship at Michigan State. That is not a national championship football program. That that did not happen in this millennium.
1: He won three Big Ten divisional championships, two Big Ten championship games, and was selected and was selected to in 2015 to the college football playoff as a number three seed, lost to Alabama in the Cotton Bowl. He led the Spartans to a victory in the 2014 Rose Bowl. That's enough. Whatever. We
0: don't need any more. There was no national championship. It
1: doesn't matter. He went on to have success at a big-time college football program. The person who, who succeeded him was Brian Kelly, who now has been at Notre Dame for 13 years.
0: Butch and Jones who, and who has also received the honor of getting his ass kicked in the college football playoff by Alabama multiple times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Butch Jones though. Butch Jones came here, saw some success, nothing under the level of Brian Kelly. And he kind of sputtered around around, but the key is he had success here. Then you had freaking Tommy Tuberville. That guy couldn't find success if it hit him in the freaking face. Sorry. What? I know
0: Actually, maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he did. (laughs) He seems to be, he seems to fail upwards pretty well. I think he he actually, it depends on your definition of success.
1: Yeah. He's the only person who trips, trips over the first step and lands on the 13th step. (laughs) Uh, But then you have, then you have Luke Fickle who comes in and he, he does it. He builds success. My point is you can build success at the University of Cincinnati. You don't know what we would have hired if it wouldn't have been Luke fickle, they may have been some of success too. what do we do know, though, is, is that Luke fickle was the right guy. He is the guy who's building this into something successful and us getting into this bigger conference with more resources, more money is potentially a way to retain him longer. Because we're right at that point, if you look at all those coaches that we've mentioned minus Tommy Tuberville from a success standpoint, they've left after three, four seasons and we're right at that mark with Luke Fickle. If we can keep retaining him and we keep him for three, four more years, and I'm, and I'm not trying to say he's like obviously gone, we've seen him stay before with, with Michigan State, but that's what, I think that's the critical period. We need to see us getting this conference, we need to see the revenue, and we need to be able to retain Luke Fickle for three, four more years.
0: We need to drop a bag for Fick. I- Drop get it back for thick until we get to the ACC. I'm not actually hearing an answer to the question, though, because what Austin is asking is if we didn't, let's live in that hypothetical world where Luke Fickle was not the choice. Tommy Tuberville bottoms out the program. We're in terrible shape. Our recruiting is, is in shambles. The, we're, we're depleted from a talent standpoint on the roster. They don't go with Luke Fickle. I don't have a name to fill in that blank for you. But I will say this. I don't think there's precedent for what Luke Fickle has done here at Cincinnati in terms of what he's done to elevate the talent level, the culture, the buy-in from the fan base where we've got sellouts galore coming this season. First game of the year against Miami sells out. I think the closest thing to it is most obviously Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly did have that wild success while at Cincinnati. Mark D'Antonio, you know, not the same thing. He he was a very good coach here, had a lot of success, but it was most, it was clearly a stepping stone. He didn't actually take Cincinnati to the type of pinnacle that Brian Kelly did, and now that now you see Luke Fickle doing. Um, so when when I consider the talent level, when I consider consider the national recognition, when I consider um, the culture building that Luke Fickle has done here to to put us on this national top ten scene, I act, I think the answer is clearly no. Without hiring Luke Fickle. which is, by the way, the saving grace for Mike Bones' legacy at Cincinnati. Otherwise, the abject disaster had he not fallen into the Luke Fickle hire. But by doing so, Luke Fickle is one of the driving forces behind our ability to be in a position today, which other schools are not like USF. They're not in this position. Memphis, they're not in this position. Luke Fickle has put us in position today to be one of the best four options for the Big 12 Conference, which is going to go a long way toward putting Cincinnati in in a good spot long-term or a better spot long-term to be relevant in college football. I think the thing
1: you're missing with Dan Antonio, though, is that we were also still in – was a very, very, very weak football conference in Conference USA before we transitioned into the Big East like that's that's what I can say but to answer your question not going to dive into what what we were in Conference USA Uh, do I think that we we don't get the invite without Luke Fickle I think we do I think we do based on the fact that they were looking at us at 2016 and it was probably a narrow vote back then but the but the big 12 is so far back on their heels right now The only thing that actually would have kept us from getting that vote would have been our man, the hall of fame basketball coach, John Brannon would have kept us out because he would have tanked both program, both programs would potentially be tanking at the same time.
0: So I was actually about to set this up and say that Austin did follow up and say, um, that Wes Miller at least brings a level of basketball excitement that never existed with John brannon I would argue there was quite a bit of excitement for John Brannon when he was first hired, like locally, at least there was a lot of excitement nationally. There is more excitement for Wes Miller than John Brannon would have elicited. Um, he's asking if that would have also had an impact. I'm, I'm bearish on that. I don't actually think the hiring of Wes Miller and the excitement surrounding him has much to do with our invite to the big 12, I think that it's, I think going to the big 12, it doesn't, 12, hurt. It doesn't it's, hurt. It's certainly going to, it's going to make the recovery of our basketball program uh, speed up quite a bit. And, and frankly, if you've watched fan fest, I, I don't think the recovery is going to take long at all. I think this is going to be a very good team this coming season. And there'll be time to talk about that. Uh, but the big 12, Wes Miller going into homes, recruiting and and recruiting to what the big 12 will be from a basketball standpoint it's gonna go well. I think things are gonna go well for Wes.
1: Yeah, I'm not worried about Wes. I think the point, the point that I was trying to make there, though, is with where the basketball program was heading under John Brannon. yes, that could have been it was a disaster. It could have been even worse. Uh, you know, and that's that's the scary part. If you don't have Luke Fickle, you have a Tommy tuberville like character. In at the helm, you have a John Brandon character at the helm at the same time. The both of your flagship programs are now tanking. Yes, all of a sudden I'm a little worried because you do have schools like Memphis who at the same time were having the hype of Penny Hardaway. Their football team wasn't doing too bad. You know, in Houston, look at look at Houston. Penny
0: Penny Hardaway's a cocaine high. Like it, it, it may not last. Does it feel that, long. that way? It's not, it's not going to last that long. But man, it's going to be effing great while it's going on. Dude, like this can... is, this is going to be a good time. Like we're gonna get, <laughs> we're gonna get the best players in the country. <laughs> we're going to have a, a shit ton of hype, and and maybe we'll actually win during this process. I don't know. That hasn't actually happened yet, <laughs> but <laughs> the come down is going to be hard from Penny Hardaway. He is a hell of a drug. Maybe Penny Hardaway is what's keeping Memphis out of the Big 12.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, Dude, that's great fantastic. stuff. Great stuff.
0: Well, we'll we'll definitely have more Big 12 conversations to come. Did we answer I, that?
1: Did we answer that question?
0: We did. I, I think the, okay. the clear answer to me. Based on what we know at this point, based on everything Luke has accomplished, for me, the answer is no, we don't get the invite. Are you saying the opposite? Are you saying yes, you still think we get the invite? I still
1: think we get the invite. Here's the reasons why. We have a big alumni base. We have a brand. We know, you know, you can be successful here and we're already light years ahead in facilities from a lot of the, of other competition for those invites.
0: What does the brand look like, though, if our football is is succeeding at a level of like Memphis right now?
1: We still we still put 30,000 fans in a stadium. We still get good do TV we, ratings.
0: Do we still put 30,000 fans in the stadium if our football not team is Murray, winning at against, Memphis's level? Not against Murray State. Okay, because that's what that's what I think you have to consider. Like, I don't think that the attendance looks the same without Luke Fickle. I don't think we're. I mean, clearly, the winning you can't just you can't build in eleven win season, undefeated season, another expected undefeated season. Like, you can't factor that into another coach. A replacement coach doesn't automatically get that credit. So, with that comes attendance, hype, branding. All of those things might be at a much lower level without Luke Fickle.
1: Uh, I'm looking at the 15. First game, UConn, sellout 40,000. Miami, Florida, sellout. Texas, Alabama, AM, 39,000. Temple, 38. Tulane, 35. Central Florida, 30. The, we what does average, 2016 look like?
0: What does 2016 look like? I, I
1: can't find these. This stuff doesn't just pop up. But that up matters. Like
0: that. Like, that's the year when things completely fall off the rails with Tupperville. He ends up getting fired. He's He's yelling at students to go get a job. I mean, things got ugly there. And that's where that's the crucial moment in Bearcats history where, I mean, Luke Fickle comes in, he goes four and eight his first year. Things don't look that great, but then it trends upward. And I think they get 11 wins that following season. So his fast turnaround, his culture building from the get-go to me, it made the difference. I'm willing to give him a lot of credit for, for what's happening right now. and And the fact that we're heading to the big 12, I'm also ready to give John Cunningham a hell of a lot of credit. John Cunningham is out here, is out here dominating. Are we going to offer? I think I need to offer him a public apology.
1: Do you? Do you want an p- apology for what? I think I do. I think we called for like, you know, maybe his removal at one point. We oh, oh joked, we
0: did not. We did not call for a removal. Not, not like John that, Cunningham. but like, it,
1: it was like in a facetious way. But I also joked that bringing in <laughs> Trestle's nephew was a way to entice Trestle himself to come be the athletic director. At so I do apologize to John Cunningham because we did. also skewered him over the lack of content, marketing, and they seem to have turned this whole ship around. The Let It Fly series was exactly stuff that we were craving for. Twitter seems to be there. Here's what we do need to see this year, though. We didn't see this last year. When Des Ritter is making the case, making that final push for Heisman, the Heisman Trophy winner, representing the University of Cincinnati, we need to see John Cunningham out there
0: doing his thing. I don't think that being we a part him. of the push. I don't think we owe John Cunningham an apology for wanting a more public-facing AD during a year when the Bearcats are getting completely shafted, and yet they're undefeated, right? What, like, do, we, I think, what do we owe him? I feel like we owe him something. Maybe like uh, I don't know. A thank we don't, you. We, owe him a we thank don't owe anything. I we owe him a thank you for for stepping up. Well, I was thanking him profusely back in back in March and April of this year. Of 2021 when he had the gonads to to get john Brandon up out of the paint and replace him with west miller to me that is is, is still and eh, you know the big 12 is gonna is gonna fight for this uh to me personally his biggest accomplishment to date is still saving cincinnati bearcats basketball by firing john Brandon, his coach that was a critical moment that is going to be on his resume from here on out, Big Twelve will, will probably pass it in many people's minds, but for me personally, and how much sentimental value that program has, uh, that is the pinnacle of John Cunningham's tenure so far, and he's been he's been outstanding so far as the AD. So, shouts to you, John Cunningham. And on that note, the i am not giving—I'm never going to
1: give him credit for getting us into the Big Twelve. I'm not going to give any AD in the past credit for getting us into the Big Twelve. We're getting into the Big Twelve because the Big Twelve is frankly desperate or they're going to fall apart. I like that. I like that. And I, I, I'm not not giving that as an accomplishment on his resume, leading the university saying that no, that's happening because of circumstances. The goal is making sure that we survive whatever is after If The big 12 exists into the future. Great. We need to be a part of it.
0: If, if there's something after it, we need to be a part of that. Yeah, that's a great point, Hammer, because I actually think it's worth focusing on the positives for the Big 12. I think we are, frankly, in a more desperate position where it's important to get the hell out of the American. That said, you did make the point about wishing the Big 12 would just straight up go to 16 teams right now as an aggressive move to counter what these other conferences certainly will be doing in the future. We've already seen that the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC, they've got their quote-unquote alliance going on. All, none of that's actually written. None of that is set in stone. All of it's going to change in the coming years. The Big 12 needs to be more proactive. Bob Bullsby is not someone that I feel confident in leading a conference. In leading in, in, our conference. No, like, can we, <laughs> I would like to see him get replaced. Like, there are things to nitpick about this move. It's the right move. It's a move worth getting excited about. But we are still on tenuous footing, given what everything else that's happening in college football.
1: Hear me out. Hear me and hear me well. We get the invite. The day the vote is official, I'm officially calling for Bob Bowsley to be fired, and we need to bring in the guy that they hired from the XFL, the XAD of West Virginia to lead this conference into the digital age.
0: All of a luck.
1: I'm all about it. I'm in it, and I'm sorry, Bob. You invited us to the party. Now we're kicking you out. All right, get the hell out. You failed in 2016. Could you imagine the University of Cincinnati playing around with 20 million dollars a year for the last 4 or 5 years? Holy shit. <laughs> so we would true. we would freaking be crushing right now. We would we might be one of the most valuable franchises in the Big 12 right now. At this very moment in time, have you given $100 million of resources over the last five years? Bob Bosley can go to hell. As soon as this is all over, he needs to be fired. Or
0: put out the pasture, forced to retire. Reassigned. Sent, sent into a different position where he's sort of buried in a closet uh, on the on the first floor. Now they're gonna hear they're gonna hear papers. our podcast and
1: they're gonna they're gonna hear our podcast and they're gonna they're gonna rescind the offer.
0: <laughs> we're calling for his firing. <laughs> eh, don't do all that. Don't. They're not listening to the cincy slang and podcast. Fortunately, um, <laughs> let's kind of leave the Big Twelve talk there. We're definitely gonna be revisiting it. I'm. I know we'll have to We'll have to drop an emergency pod when we, we actually, got West Virginia.
1: We got West Virginia right down the street again. Holy cow. look at look at the map. Have you pulled up the map lately? I mean, I've seen it. Yeah. All right, you got Kansas and Kansas State, same state, right? And then you get uh, Baylor, Houston, TCU. They're all like in that little quarter. And you've lived in Texas; those are probably two day drives from one another, anyway. Such a such a big state. Texas,
0: yeah. You think you're close to things in Texas? You're only close to Texas. <laughs> but West Virginia, Cincinnati, holy cow, that's a close drive. That's one of those annual trips. And I'm, by the you're way, making the trek to, to Morgantown.
1: I saw this on Twitter and I, I don't remember who it was, but shame on you. Shame on you to think that Bob Huggins will ever come into fifth Third arena and get booed. That's one of the worst takes I've ever seen. Worst take I've ever seen in my goddamn life. You take that back. Look, you, you don't have to like him. You do have to like him. He puts Cincinnati Bearcat basketball back on the map after a time of complete oblivion. Without Bob Huggins, we're not sitting here today being super freaking excited about Wes Miller leading us into the future and bringing back Steve freaking Logan to drop a, this basically a one-shot free throw, one shot from the half court line in a shootout while everybody else has taken four or five times to make it. Those are legends that he brought to this building and you respect that man. You do not boo him. And get Every- ready. There's more legends to come because Mick Cronin did the same damn thing. You do not boo Mick Cronin in this building. You cheer his ass. You say that you know what he brought us. He brought us Sean Kilpatrick, right? He brought us my favorite player of all time, Trey Scott. He brought us entertainment, and he he did good. He kept us where he kept us viable. He took us to the Sweet Sixteen. Yes, did we want more? Could he achieve more? Sure, he could have. But now we are here. We have West. Frickin' Miller in the building. And this team is going to be fucking fire for the next 10 years. So I don't want to hear anybody talking about booing any of these people that come in this building. You put that uniform on for Cincinnati. You are beloved. You are beloved in this city. And everybody needs to feel that way as a past present, former Bearcat.
0: Unless your name is John Brandon. He can go to hell. <laughs> All right, however, we've, uh, we've kind of, we've, 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 <laughs> rehash the big is
1: that a good is that a good rant to end on
0: <laughs> well there's i actually that's not where i was going to end the podcast maybe i should we're going to come back with the midweek podcast so maybe i can save th- some things then what i did want to talk about was you know what i, I wanted to hit on this i want to kind of still end the let's podcast do it on this which we is got it. i've seen folks watching other games that aren't the cincinnati bearcat games and they are watching them and following the results and tracking the results as if it is the Cincinnati Bearcats playing in that specific game. Scoreboard watching, right? We saw it with Central Florida, and, oh, if they lose to Boise State, this is terrible for the Bearcats. We saw it tonight with Notre Dame. They barely pulled off a victory against Florida State. They do it. Indiana gets demolished at Iowa. The list goes on. My question to you is, as a fan, I guess there's two ways to to approach this. You can think about it objectively, clear-headed, and you can say, well, here's how the committee will think about things. But also just for your own personal health and well-being, is scoreboard watching something worth doing? Like, is this something we should really be putting a lot of time and attention into?
1: God, you're just going to hate me, man. I'm going to be a politician here. Yes and no. You shouldn't be scoreboard watching for the sake of what Cincinnati, how it affects us, because all we have to do, we know what we have to do. We have to go undefeated. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what else happens around us. We have to win every single game on our schedule. That's it. That's what we have to do. Right. And there's enough of these pundits out there, at least the big name ones that have flat out come out and said that, look, if the Bearcats win, they're in. Now, that's we know there is some Tom Fuller that may happen, but at the end of the day, here's why you watch the other games. It's fucking college football. Welcome back, baby. You care. Have fun caring. This is the whole part about Cincinnati being good is you do care about where schools do because you don't think Ohio State's watching what is going on in the rest of the high state fans aren't watching what's going on in their conference. They're watching the other games to say, oh, you know what? We want to make sure we win. Oh, or Clemson now. Clemson now has a loss on their schedule. You don't think there's Clemson fans are now sitting there watching what Alabama's doing, what Notre Dame's doing. They're watching now intensely because it matters. We are a school that matters. And we now watch the
0: other schools that matter. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I hear you with that. All, all I want to say is this, our schedule is our schedule. We cannot change it at this point. We yet, we are going, we are scheduled to play at Bloomington against a team that was preseason top 20 in the country. We are scheduled to play at South Bend against a team that was around top 10 in the country. We are scheduled to play our American Athletic slate and based on those things we're ranked in the preseason top 10 and we have a chance at running the table and being undefeated. And again, if you start the year as a preseason top 10 team and you run the table, you should be making the college football playoff. Anything else that's that besides that, any any notion that because Notre Dame lost to A and B teams or Indiana lost to Iowa and B and C, all of that is bullshit. And by focusing on that and worrying about that and and freaking out and ripping off a, a, a tweet stressing over the fact that this team might lose and it is so bad for Cincinnati and now nothing matters anymore you're validating those bullshit excuses they're going to give in the first place just operate from the standpoint that Cincinnati's a top 10 team all that matters is that we win every single game on our schedule and if we do that we absolutely 100% unequivocally deserve a chance to compete in the college football playoff stop worrying about it just have fun It's college football, baby. Have
1: fun this time. We get to have fun this year. We got to have fun last year. We get to have even more fun this year. Just enjoy the ride. We're not going to lose the game this year, guys. We're not going to lose the game. (laughs) Like it's not going to happen. I feel so confident that we are not going to lose a game. We will have close games. They will be tense. They will be tough, but we are not going to lose. We are going to go undefeated. It's, I don't know what to say, just enjoy it. Sit back, relax, grab a beer.
0: I've had a few tonight. <laughs> Cheers to that, buddy. Go Bearcats.